0: This episode of Inside Acting is brought to you in part by Rehearsal 2, the app for actors. Want to learn your lines fast? Be off book for auditions? Explore your characters and make stronger choices? There's an app for that. Rehearsal 2. Download it now at RehearsalTheApp.com download. That's RehearsalTheApp.com download.
1: Hello and welcome to episode 160 of Inside Acting. My name is Trevor Algott.
0: And I'm AJ Meyer.
1: And I'm not really angry. I just sounded a little angry when I said that for some reason. Anyway, uh, you're listening to Inside Acting where we interview actors, writers, casting directors, agents, managers, producers, filmmakers, anybody involved all involved with the entertainment industry in any way, shape, or form. And uh, we ask some questions, listen to their answers, and then put the whole thing on the worldwide intertubes for your listening pleasure every week.
0: And of course, we are just two angry dudes with a podcast. So uh, we <laughs> we started this podcast because we are looking for the answers, not because we necessarily have all of them. So if you would like to contribute your questions, comments, concerns, predictions, reservations, relevations. Uh, prophecies, prophecies. Uh, feel feel free to reach out to us there's a myriad ways to do that and you can start at our website insideactingpodcast.com
1: you may have just invited some crazy people to call in share your I prophecies hope. That, that would with be, us that
0: would be awesome someone's
1: going to call and be like I am the chosen one <laughs> interview me
0: as long as they don't, as long as they don't say like seven days and then hang
1: up the phone, <laughs> yeah. I'm oh, good to go. God, oh no! All right. Anyway, moving on. Uh, on today's episode, we have part one of a three-part chat with uh, filmmaker Eric England, and the, uh, this this is a great chat, guys. The first part here that we're going to hear a little bit later in the episode is is mostly about Eric's journey, which is very cool. And then uh, in parts two and three, we get into some of the nuts and bolts and how-to's of his career and he and in part three he we really dig deep and he shares some uh, some really great tips on on how to kind of diy your own career when it comes to filmmaking and creating your own content so really good stuff for for all of us in store over the next three episodes make sure you guys stick around for part one coming at you in just a little bit Hello, how are you, my friend? I'm not really angry. I'm not. I was, what I was trying to do there was just change it up, just change up the sort of like standard tone of like the hello. You're listening to episode. You know, I wanted to switch it up a little bit, and it just ended up sounding really angry. And I was like, this, <laughs> this is a fail right off the bat. It
0: was the it was the Shatner esque pausing that yeah. I was getting caught. Up. <laughs> I, know. I was like, what is happening? He's like, hello, welcome yeah. to episode one
1: sixty inside acting. <laughs> episode 160 of inside acting podcast which is just a weird like computer voice anyway we keep it real here guys we don't edit this stuff out anymore uh (laughs) so yeah you're getting the real deal here two dudes bringing it to you live we're doing it live how you doing man i'm i'm well i'm well so Um. you you have some news you alluded to me earlier this week via a text message that uh, you have some exciting things uh, that you wanted to share.
0: Well, most of it was in the uh, the dispatch that I that I put out this uh,
1: oh, this never, week. I never read that crap.
0: Oh, okay. Well, how yeah. will wait you then. Bye. Um, <laughs> no, it's it's mostly been auditions. I I put yeah, myself yeah. on I put myself on tape. I don't know three times. You know, what I just realized. Mm. i said i said i said auditions and then i was like oh you know we like to call them meetings and then i was like wait if you put yourself on tape they really are auditions <laughs> you're not having a meeting true story with anyone true story there's no one in the room but the person maybe reading with you if, unless you're doing a monologue
1: hmm. <clears throat> you're getting wow. quite good at that uh self-taping thing i feel like this is the sixth or seventh time you you've talked about putting yourself on tape on the show
0: oh yeah it's been uh at least
1: that many if not more um yeah, is it getting easier? Are you getting more streamlined with your uh, with your kind of system?
0: It is, yeah. Uh, Jasmine and I have sort of figured out the 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 best wall in the apartment the to hang wall. the sh- the sheet, uh, and um, awesome. you know, I got myself a, a glyph, which I've talked about on the podcast before, to hold the uh, the phone. I don't know how I ended up with it, but at some point, I acquired a little mini. Um, I think it's from my days working for Apple. I acquired a, a little mini tripod. Cool. That's probably only a few inches tall, but <clears throat> it's perfect because that means I can set it on top of anything.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So we just uh, we literally just put a, a chair on a table, no joke, and um, and use that to um, to as the tripod, and then just make sure it's you know decently well lit. Obviously, it's easier to do during the day. One of the auditions that came through. Came through like at seven o'clock at night, and they needed it at the latest by early the next morning. Wow. And so, um, I we had to sort of figure out how to light that with, with, I don't know, not. Natural light. What Did is you, what is th- not natural light called? Artificial light. It's not really artificial. Sure,
1: unnatural light. light. Yeah, artificial <laughs> light. I guess. <laughs> Did you ever invest in? Uh, well, two questions. Did you invest in some uh, China ball lights?
0: Yes. I have not gotten a China ball yet. There's only been a couple of times when it was like I said, either at night or um, overcast where it would have made a, <clears throat> a difference and i will literally say out loud to myself like i need to go get myself a china light awesome. <laughs> china ball you know awesome right, uh right. Just, you know it's one of those things where like you don't you don't need it until you need it yeah yeah and then you then you wish you had it yeah so so we we've gotten creative we we put a we put a desk lamp behind a white t-shirt once and uh that seemed to work pretty well to diffuse the the light so cool you know we're just. Uh, I, I'm. I've been happy with the quality of pretty much everything that I put myself on tape for. The only exception being one, the one that I shot in the middle of the night, which uh, was was still good. Just the the lighting was a little dim, and then I ended up. You know, we'll fix it in post. Mm. Heyo. I ended up using you know iMovie or whatever to uh, just make some subtle uh, color adjustments. Cool. And, bright- and brightened it up. And it, and it worked. It worked, I thought, really well.
1: Cool. So. And that, that actually leads me to my <laughs> second question, which is I think at one point you were investing in like a little mini shotgun mic to plug into your, your phone. Did that ever happen?
0: Well, <clears throat> I. So, Ben Whitehair, who is, uh, as longtime listeners know, our sort of unofficial mascot um he is the one who inspired me to you know get the china balls and 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 he, he got himself a tripod china balls and a shotgun mic and
1: i feel like there's I, a joke there somewhere sorry I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't resist but anyway moving on
0: a tripod a china ball and a shotgun mic oh, walking oh you, said
1: you said china balls you said china balls so the, four, and China ball. Oh, the 14 year old solution. in me is, is laughing, but moving on, okay. we're, we're more mature than that. Of course. <clears throat> <clears throat> <laughs> so your tripod and your China balls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. We're, we're good. I'll, we're good. Professionals. I'll, I'll, I'll wait. I'll no, wait. No, we're done. We're done. On. Moving on. <laughs>
0: uh, if we have anyway, any listeners,
1: they all just unsubscribed.
0: Yeah. They're like, wow, these guys have really gone off the rails. Um, so, Anyway, I, I I really that's that's what inspired me to like get a, a really good setup. He also bought a glyph, and and I I just have been pretty satisfied with the audio. Like that, it hasn't been an issue. the The onboard microphone and the camera I feel like are, have gotten increasingly better. Well, I mean I know they've gotten increasingly better spec wise, but I've also used them on the iPhone. <clears throat> um, the and I have the five S, which yeah. until what last week was the most recent, yeah, you know, highest end and version of the, now of the phone.
1: Now it's clunky and heavy and slow and boring. Yep, and square. Yeah,
0: <laughs> and it doesn't go yeah, on I my and it doesn't go on my wrist. Yeah,
1: I know you can't you can't uh, tap it and then have it tap somebody else across the country. Sorry, I I don't. I think you can do that with the Apple Watch, right? Isn't that like a tap thing? I don't know.
0: I I didn't watch the I didn't watch the keynote. No. I don't wear I don't wear watches, so it was not something that I was interested in. Everybody was talking about oh oh the Apple Watch is coming, and people were excited. Like, oh oh this is going to be the one where they announce the new iPhone and the wearables, mm-hmm. the smart wearables. Right. And I, I was like, uh, okay, I don't wear I don't wear watches ever, so I don't. It wasn't something I was. Anyway, getting we closer, really are getting off yeah, track. Well,
1: we're getting closer and closer to implanting microchips, man. I feel like that is the next logical step. It's like, why would you, you know, have something that you have to charge and you can take on and off and it's not waterproof? It's just, just slip it under your skin. And and then before you know it, we've got nanobots in our bloodstream and singularity is coming. It is. It right.
0: is. I've, I've been reading some really fascinating articles on that recently, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I posted one on Twitter and Facebook the other day it was
1: oh really, okay,
0: really crazy, yeah, I
1: look that up uh, we are way off topic i'm I'm sorry, I, I couldn't resist uh the bad jokes and the, <laughs> and the technology talk, but uh so you've been pretty happy with uh with the uh, te- the quality of your recordings
0: yes that cool. is that is the that's the upshot.
1: And and these auditions came to you through open call or like not open calls, but like uh, click and submit type stuff or your manager or
0: no uh, various various things. I uh one through my representation, one through um uh I needed to put myself on tape for that short film that I talked about a few episodes back that my buddy Eric is writing right. and wants me to star in because right. he he, you know, he wants to. He wants me to audition for it, basically. So I did. <clears throat> um, and the third one was actually uh, someone who saw me in Heather's and remembered me, which I, which was really cool. It's the first time I think that that's happened where it's been sort of a big, quote unquote, big deal. Um, he's producing a movie starring uh, James Franco, and. Uh, a, a mutual friend of ours who was involved at the original workshops of Heathers, uh, he reached out to her and he's like, hey, do you know this guy that was in Heathers? <laughs> I don't know if he still has the program or what. And and she was like, uh, yeah, we're friends on Facebook, I guess. So um, that's how that happened, which was obviously totally random, but also really flattering and cool that it came of, of, of the show or from sweet. the show.
1: Sweet, sweet, man. Yeah. Right on.
0: Um, and then I've got uh, a musical theater audition coming up uh, next week. Oh, and uh, the other big news was uh, uh, I have an agent meeting tomorrow.
1: Damn, dude. So, crushing it. My, name, my name's AJ, and uh, I'm just blowing up over here in New York.
0: <laughs> I'm just working
1: on it. Dude, Working that's up. awesome, man. Congratulations. I'm so freaking proud of you and so happy for you. That's really, really great to hear. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's,
0: I mean, it, obviously, it's been it's been a lot of work. I think the one thing that I want to say about, <clears throat> about that in particular is I, I learned something about, and I actually said this to, to Ben on the phone the other day, and I, I hope this inspires some, some of our listeners, but I learned something about myself and the way that I operate in this in this business. You and I have learned over the recent last few years about, you know, if if something isn't working in your life, <clears throat> change your, you know, your being, your actions and then you will, you know, change your result because the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again expecting a different result. So When it came to having agents or getting agents or having agent meetings in New York, I was doing various things including reaching out to my manager and saying, get me some meetings, I'm here and we need help, we need somebody on the ground here submitting me. And I got, on two different occasions separated by a couple of months, I got the same response from her which was, you know, I've tried um you know i've sent to these people and these people and these people uh they've turned me down they they don't you know they're not interested they they're not blown away by your tape meaning my reel they're not blah 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 whatever it is right your pictures some you know reason for it not working mm-hmm. excuses and <coughs> excuses last, well this last time i was like i realized i was like well i still don't have an agent so I don't I don't care what you have to I don't care what you're saying right now. The fact of the matter is I don't have the result that I want. So I'm going to try some different things. Uh, and I told her this. I'm going to start going to these to, to workshops where they have you know agents coming to 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 see people work. Number one and number two, uh, do something else. Do something different. Try some, go back. Uh, try other people. Try people we haven't tried before. Send them this other thing. And I had I have footage of myself singing on on YouTube now. I was like, send them this, you know, um, because it's New York. Um, so anyway, <clears throat> it was it was just a lot of me realizing that I wasn't getting the results that I wanted, changing things up for myself, as well as subversively if you will coaching someone else into doing the same thing
1: wow and and that subversive coaching being your representation
0: <laughs> <clears throat> yeah essentially being like okay so if we, like that's great I get it I hear what you're saying you know I'm working on getting more tape I'm working on whatever all these other things are that you tell me to work on in the meantime we still don't have the result that we want mm. so what else what else are you doing? What's next? What? So, you know, basically just saying, try something else. And, and literally three days two two days later, I had a meeting scheduled.
1: <laughs> yeah. <coughs> How so, about them apples? Yeah. That's great, man. Switching up your strategy when you're not getting the results you want. is so key because a lot of us would just give up. We'd be like, oh, it's not working. Um, well, I guess I could go read a book in the park you know huh. like, like that's that's productive well, I I'll, think, I'll read about acting you know it's huh. you totally switched it up and said all right well let's let's try something else that's really great
0: i think that we i think that we sort of um trick ourselves because you know we've said on the podcast before there's no extra credit for the struggle but i feel like a lot of people feel like there's this dues paying mm. quote-unquote yeah. dues paying like actors have to pay their dues like um, you know, I'm just plugging along in LA, I'm just plugging along in New York, I'm just plugging along in San Francisco, I'm doing my thing, I'm doing my thing, I'm doing my thing, and I'm not, my career isn't where I want it to be, but I'm like, oh, well, that just takes time. Right. And yes, that's true. Also, do something different if you don't yet have the results that you want.
1: Yeah, yeah. And
0: that Because all... what's the worst that can happen?
1: <laughs> right, right. You just, you, you just hear uh, a no, thank you. Basically, sometimes, sometimes not even a thank you. You just hear no. But that's the worst.
0: Or know? nothing. Or you hear nothing at all. Yeah. You
1: know, and, and, and yeah, and as we've said on the show before as well, you're not, you haven't been rejected. There's no such thing as rejection because you didn't have the thing before. You don't have it now. Nothing changed. Exactly. So, wow, man, I'm I'm really inspired right <clears throat> now. That's so kick-ass. I'm proud of you, brother. It's great. Thanks. Really great.
0: Yeah, so I, I guess that would be my ho- that would be like my homework assignment for our listeners. It's like think about the the things that you do on a weekly basis as an actor, thinking that you're moving things forward, mm-hmm. and then ask yourself how long you've been doing those things, and whether or not they've achieved the results that you want to achieve. And if the answer is no, like do something different. You're you're you're. You are you are absolutely making progress and I'm not knocking whatever it is that you've tried so far. But what else? I guess yeah. is my question.
1: Yeah, are you moving at the pace you want to be moving <clears> at? And if not, why not? Because we all deserve to have what we want. It's just a matter of uh, working smart. Yes, it's great man. Congratulations. Amen. So we have, uh, what do we have here? We have uh, three or four kind of listener things to mention, but before we jump into those, I know you wanted to briefly talk about something that we got from uh, one of our listeners, Tom Tom Burt, who uh, sent us a little kind of Wikipedia uh, snippet about Mutant Message Down Under, which was your pick of the week a few weeks ago, and that you actually mentioned it in the most recent Dispatch. And this is a book that you said really has to be experienced, not necessarily read because it's not something you really read; you just absorb it and you experience it, and it's very profound. Uh, and yet, we have this thing uh, <laughs> that uh, that is out there in the world. And, and thank you, Tom, for for sharing it with us. Do you want to talk about this?
0: Yeah, I read the Wikipedia entry, but I have yet to read the uh, supporting articles. So, just full disclosure <clears throat> that um, I uh, the, the the two supporting articles are. Currently, not just bookmarked, but literally open in um, my web browser on my uh, iPad, so I can I can read them. Um, but I haven't done so yet. I feel like part of our job with the podcast, and I've said this before, is being journalists. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's part of what we do, and and part of I feel like, and I know Trevor will um, agree with me on this. I, I feel like we. We are interested in um, protecting, quote unquote, our listeners, because <clears throat> our whole mission here is to get out good information. So if we're getting out bad information, that goes against what, what it is that we want to do. So yeah. I just wanted to mention that uh, there is a lot of evidence, including a basically public confession, that, that the author of Mutant Message... Um, what's her name? Morgan? Marla Morgan. Yeah. Marla Morgan. Uh, basically fabricated, <clears throat> fabricated um, the vast majority of the story in Newton message, which she claims is actually happened.
1: Yeah. and, and, and Yeah. In the beginning of the book, I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off there. Uh, in the beginning of the book, she mentions that, uh, you know, she can't necessarily call this uh, a memoir or a, um, um, uh, Like these, you know, she can't call those uh, actual events, but uh, but she does want to leave it up to the reader because she claims that she experienced them, and now she's actually going against that.
0: Yeah, she well, she came out publicly saying that. I mean, and this happened years ago, actually. Um, She Mm -hmm. sort of publicly admitted that that you know most of it was was fabricated, and um, you know, like I said, I haven't read the 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 full the full articles, but I I will say that regardless of whether or not she was telling the truth the the core message of the book is still remains and and it still has impacted me equally as so before and after i knew this this information i just think it's good um for people to have the full for people to know yeah i mean you know you could read it you could read it thinking it was a, a a complete work of fiction, and it wouldn't matter. You would still, I think, you, I think that you would still get the um, the message or messages in the um, <clears throat> in 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 the in the book and, and and its various sort of teachings, lessons. I mean, there's a lot in there about you know taking care of the earth, taking care of each other, non, um, you know non attachment. Um, non non judgment, um, so so much that that's really, as I said, impacted me. So the message is still there. Tom even said that in 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 one of his emails. Um, we had a, a brief email exchange about this. You know, he said the message is still there. It's just um, <clears throat> you know, it's unfortunate that um, it's sort of sullied by sullied yeah by this. So anyway. Uh, that's all not, not, don't want to dwell on it for too long, but, um, I felt like it was our sort of journalistic duty yeah. to, yeah.
1: <laughs> and, and thanks again to Tom for bringing that to our attention. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right, cool. Well, we only have a, a, really we've only <coughs> got a minute or two because, uh, the first part of Eric's interview is, is a bit long. It's about 36 minutes. Um, so I'm don't know why I did accent there. Uh, so I, I'm going to vote to really just kind of touch on one of these uh, these three uh, kind of listener communications that we have to chat about. Do you have a vote for uh, for which one you want to touch on?
0: I think we should just go in chronological order. Chronological which means, order, um, which would mean uh, Stefan Goldbach sent. Um, he he was the first email we received.
1: Stefan so. by the way, is a great dude. I've uh, I had. Uh, coffee with him not too long ago, and then I, I saw him at Ben's uh, <coughs> PhD thesis because Ben's doing oh, a PhD cool. program. And yeah. Stefan showed up to that, and it was great to connect with him. He's a good dude, man, and it's just really cool to connect with listeners who are who are clearly uh, you know up to big things. They're very very generous spirits, and um, so I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, Stefan's in LA. If you are listening to this and you're in LA, he's a great person to connect with. I've really enjoyed getting to know him, and look forward to to continuing that. Uh, and actually, I think he's actually been playing soccer with TJ Ramini, And he's been, he's been inviting me to uh, some of their just kind of pick up soccer matches around town. So it's, it's really cool, man. You know, there's a whole so community of people out here. Inside,
0: are... I know. I was going to say it's like an inside acting love fest. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, it's,
1: it's really cool, man. So <laughs> um, just wanted to throw that out there that uh, Stefan, shout out to you. And hopefully people, um, you know, continue co- to connect this way.
0: He, yeah, and he came to see Heathers before moving to L.A. from New York, so yeah,
1: really, really generous, Yeah, very good, generous good spirit. So he says, uh, basically, um, that he tries to go where the fear is. That's yeah, he was, kind of the, yeah, the he gist was responding
0: to yeah, he was responding to a um, to something, a question that I posed on the podcast a few weeks ago about decision making. I was saying like how I wanted, I, I was basically asking all of our listeners to write in and tell us about or call in, and tell us about how you make your decisions, what factors right. do you in, incorporate, what kind of, because, you know, it was I think it was just talking about the decision to stay in New York or go back to LA, that kind of thing, but we're, as actors we we are sort of faced with decisions yeah. of, often, <clears throat> about whether we're going to, you know, take that thrival job so that, which causes us not to be able to you know, audition for a little bit so that we can save up money, or or do we not do that and 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 leave ourselves open for those? Audits. So there's a lot. Oh, there's always a lot of decision making going on. Yeah. So
1: yeah, it's um, a dance. It's a constant push and pull to figure out. You know, what's going to support me, but what do I also need to do to to continue to pursue this dream? You know, what 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 what's it going to take, and mm-hmm. what sacrifices am I going to have to make at least temporarily? So um, yeah, so he was responding to that and he basically said uh, that in general he if he feels that he's afraid of something uh, if it worries him then it's worth exploring absolutely worth digging into um and he says specifically when it's come to moving for him like literally transplanting from one city to another um that's that's been a criteria that he's that's figured into his his decision-making process pretty heavily
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, yeah and 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 in terms of the new york versus la thing um, you know, he said that. You know, it, they're they're linked enough that he feels like it should be possible to keep both yeah. in one's life, be able to work on both on both coasts. I think the the main thrust of the the email, though, really is that 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 piece about fear about going where the where the fear is. Um, it's something I've been tr- uh, trying to keep in mind recently, and 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 supporting friends and family in mm. in similar situations it's like well what scares you the most Mm -hmm. well this scares me the most okay then that's probably the thing that you should be doing
1: yeah yeah
0: and um, i've heard a lot of people around me sort of take on that challenge for themselves recently and it's it's uh, it's been very very rewarding for all of them
1: cool yeah i mean you know what i'm also picking up from email (laughs) is the idea of yes and uh, or rather, mm. both and which is kind of it's kind of like an mittism. It's something that people kind of throw around in the uh, in the training world that we've we've both been through. Uh, but but like just the idea of like a lot of times in life we feel like we have to choose one or the other. You know, if I have this, then I can't have that. And that is so true in uh, in the artists' world or' not that the the it's not a truth, but it's something that we give a lot of uh, of our power over to thinking that we. We have to choose between one or the other. But so much of the time, we can work a situation in such a way that that we can have both. And, uh, you know, there may be sacrifices that need to be made, but not as severely or as black and white as as I think we often believe. And so uh, he also says that later in his his message here. He says, you know, especially when it comes to questions of location and relationships, and he puts in parentheses long-term stuff, uh, he feels that it should be possible to keep both in one's life and be able to work on both coasts, specifically. So I think that's uh, that's really an, another big takeaway. It's just where wherever, you know, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, God, you know, I wish I could do this, but I'm stuck in this, or I'm trapped <coughs> in this, or I, I have to sacrifice this in order to have that. Do you really? Like, just, just take mm-hmm. a minute and maybe just get out a pad of paper and just... Just freehand, you know, free associate, free write for for five minutes, and just see if if there is a way to have both. Because uh, when we come from that place of scarcity, it, it affects everything. And I think uh, just just looking for the win-win and everything is is extremely powerful. And you know, like they say, how you do one thing is how you do everything. So if you're mm. if you're uh, if you're if you're doing an either-or thing in one part of your life it's probably kind of infesting every part of your life.
0: Infesting.
1: And And I, I I should say I speak from, uh, from soul cringing experience here. I mean, you, you know me, you've known me for a long time, AJ. We've, you know, we've talked about this and you've pointed out to me on, on numerous occasions, like Trev, you may be playing the kind of either or conversation. Is there a way to have both? And every time you, you call me on that, I'm so grateful because you're right. You know, you see it where, where I don't. and, um, so maybe people listening to this can recruit, uh, you know, twenty minutes uh, of a friend's time to maybe just give give another perspective on well, whether or and, not that's and, happening.
0: Yeah, and on that note, since asking that question on the podcast a, a few weeks ago, I've actually come to, and maybe Stefan and our listeners will be excited to hear this or um, inspired to hear this, but I've I've sort of come to that exact conclusion, which is to say that. I am, I'm not afraid of, and I'm actually excited about and motivated to do the bi-coastal thing. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, coming to LA for quote-unquote pilot season and then coming back out here for the fall because that's when it's most, you know, abundant with uh, opportunities,
1: Mm. that kind of thing. Great. Kick-ass, dude. All right, right on. Well, um, we've just got a we've got a long interview to jump into not long but you know we've got a we've got a chunky interview to jump into there's a lot in there and it's about 36 minutes or so so let's roll right in and then uh, catch everybody on the other side is that sound good right on all right so here's part one of our chat with uh, eric england guys filmmaker really good dude and uh enjoy hearing about his journey and we'll catch you on the other side Hey everybody! This is Trev, and I'm very, very excited to be sitting across from Eric Englund. He's worked with uh, recent IAP guests uh, such as the likes of Ace Morero, if you guys remember him from about a year ago. Um, Eric is a director. He's a filmmaker. He's a writer. I, I, he's a producer. He's, he's got uh, several films under his belts. One of, at least one of which, maybe more than one, you can actually see on Netflix.
2: Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Two. Yeah.
1: Cool. And award uh, awards. Been all over the all over the 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 country. And I think actually you've been to Mexico. And I think some other countries yeah, some as well. Other crazy foreign countries. Yeah. So um, very accomplished guy here to kind of drop some knowledge bombs for us. Eric, welcome.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me. <clears throat>
1: Thank you for taking a great it. introduction. <laughs> Thanks for taking the time, man. So there's we we talked a lot, before we started recording here, and there's a lot that I that I want to ask you still. But we usually like to kind of. Start at the very beginning uh, because I know you're from Arkansas and we just kind of connected a little bit beforehand about, you know, the sort of concrete jungle of LA versus yeah. like the beautiful lush, you know, thoroughness of, yeah. uh, of you know, places like Oregon and Arkansas. So, you grew up in Arkansas where there really isn't much of a film industry to my knowledge. Yeah. So, where did this bug come from and what was the journey like from there to here?
2: I think um the the journey started really I, I had really cool parents. I um I was born to an eighteen year old mom and a twenty one year old father. So um, you know, growing up they wanted to see or at least my dad wanted to see you know, in 1994, Pulp Fiction came out. So what, you know, 20 year old, you know, mid twenties guy didn't want to see Pulp Fiction. My dad wanted to see it. He had a kid, he had, you know, the kid had to see Pulp Fiction. So So you were like, um, you
1: were like six. Uh,
2: yeah. Yeah. And you know, I, I, I was raised on a really steady diet of R rated films and, um, you know, and, and, and it was great. I think it, you know, of course they were like, Oh, cover your eyes during certain parts. But it was like, I still got exposed to, I think more mature things. And, Mm -hmm. um, I think that just helped me craft a uh, type of uh, a type of humor and 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 personality that leaned towards um cinema, you know, dark humor and stuff like that, which I think is a very, you know, cinematic format uh, of of storytelling. So, you know, really growing up, I I was I just escaped into movies. Like my dad and I had a Friday night movie night ever since I was a child well into high school, like I was that kid like I was an athlete, so I would go to parties and stuff, but a lot of times I would miss the parties to go hang out and go watch movies, you know what I'm saying, or, or chill with my dad. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I would read books. I would, I, I just got, I, I was really interested in entertainment. I, I, you know, I, at one point, I, I think like most kids, I wanted to be a musician and, you know, and I realized I was musically challenged and, you know, can't, can't play anything to save my life. Um, and then, uh, you know, I, I started getting a little bit into drawing and stuff like that. And my, my dad's actually really talented. Uh, artist he can draw very well but I, I I, just didn't know what my calling was my mom still to this day loves to paint she repaints her house like once a week hmm. um, you know so I, I just didn't really know what my thing was and for a while I thought I was going to get into acting you know because um, I knew I wanted to make a movie like it was one of those things where I was always like making a movie would be on my bucket list. You know what I'm saying? Like, before I die, I want to make a movie. So I thought I would act or I'd get into something in that that world. And then, um, you know, I, I I realized I acting wasn't what I wanted to do. I wanted to tell the story somehow, you know, be the creator of that story. So that's when I started watching a lot of, uh, you know, a, a lot of uh, behind-the-scenes documentaries on DVDs and, and researching. And thank God Google and YouTube were just now starting to come out. Um, and, and become a little more prominent. I'm sure at one point I was asking Jeeves, well, how do I make movies? You know, Jeeves. Um, but, <laughs> I remember um, that site. Yeah. That and, was great. Uh, so, so, you know, cause for the longest time, I thought Brad Pitt made movies. I thought actors were the people. And, and to, you know, when I moved to Hollywood, I learned they really do make the movies. Right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> They're still making the movies. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, so I, I just started trying to garner as much knowledge as possible. And, and thank God for my space at the time. I reached out to, um, a lot of my favorite filmmakers when I was in, in high school. I, I reached out to like James Wan who had just made the first Saw movie and um I reached out to, like, Eli Roth, who made Cabin Fever and Hostel, and, um, you know, I, I, I was really into horror movies, and I was like, who are these people I can reach out to and just ask them? How they got started, um, you know, w- what their path was, so to speak, and I was just trying to learn as much as possible, because I was completely ignorant. I knew nothing about it. Anytime I mentioned, hey, I want to make a movie to someone in my hometown, they were kind of like, yeah, right, who, who doesn't, you know, uh-huh. or something like that, and and still to this day, I, I don't think they're like, I don't think they grasp what I do. They're like, oh, movies. Um, you know, so, um, did you get, did
1: you get a response from Eli or, um, yeah, or I did. Yeah, I yeah. did. Uh,
2: I, I, I know James pretty well actually. Um, and, and it's cool because you know, the, the relationships that, that I, I, you know, kind of uh, discovered on MySpace have grown into, you know, I've, I've been to barbecues with James now and, and, you know, awesome. hung out and stuff. Um. So and and, and I saw uh, Eli. Eli was showing his new movie at the Sitges Film Festival in Spain, and I was there, and we were in the green room together, and it was it was really cool. Um. And and you know, m- dozens of times we've met in between those, but um. But yeah, it was really cool. You know, just reaching out and saying, "Hey, I'm a young filmmaker. I, w- this is what I want to do. What what would your advice be?" Asking that horrible question of "What's your advice?" Right. You know. Right. And um. And so so uh. So they were you know, thankfully they were they were really cool, and I think it was a, a, a at a time where. You know, especially MySpace was so new and a lot of people weren't. Um, d- discovering them, so to speak, they that you know, I was a little ahead of the curve with my research because I'm I'm one of those people when I get really into something I become obsessed with it and I just dive in head first and I was like I wonder if these guys have MySpaces and stuff like that and I found deep dark in the corners like oh wow these these you know directors have Facebooks and I can send them messages and stuff and I started that trend of them you know <laughs> cutting off all connections so um, <laughs> you're you're the guy yeah I'm I'm Damn the guy it. um so so yeah I, I reached out and then uh, I started. Started googling film schools and stuff like that, so it just it just it was a natural progression that I think um, got really really intense towards uh, high school. I I, I had a career ending injury. I was I was a basketball player and I tore my Achilles tendon my senior year of high school. Ouch! So when I realized I couldn't play basketball in high school or my my last year of high school, I was like, well. Um, I'm never gonna be the same athlete that I was. you know, I'm, I'm never gonna be able to move as good or you know jump as high. Uh, not that I could jump that high to begin with. but um, you know I, I just knew that being an athlete was out of the card. So I was mm. like, you know time, time to take that, that bucket list, plan B, and kind of shove it to the front.
1: Wow. So yeah. if you if you hadn't hurt yourself, do you think you would have pursued do you think, would you, do you, think you ever would have come around to the film thing?
2: I, I think so. I just think it would have been like, later in life, like, yeah. uh, you know, 40s-ish, you know, may- maybe when I had a little more stability. Because, um, you know, I I, I was going, I, I never went to college. I, I touched upon college in high school. I took some college courses to kind of start the credits and stuff like that. And um, I, I, ironically, the, the two courses I took in college were both English. They were, you know, writing courses. And um, so I did that. And I, I wanted to study psychology and, and, uh, and, and maybe go into like sports and be like a coach or be, um, you know a psychiatrist or something like i 'm really interested in people you know I like sports and I like people. those are two two of my passions so you know I, I really wanted to just understand people and their problems and how to help them solve things and and ironically that that path really prepared me well for directing because yeah, you, you have to yeah. understand people 's motivations and things so it was just kind of uh, you know um, fortuitous that 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 was an interest of mine so it was mm. it was great you know I, I remember the day I tore my Achilles tendon you know um, i, I I spent hours at you know a physical therapist while they were doing MRIs and doctors and blah blah blah. Like I just remember that that day so vividly, and I remember the whole time I'm laying there while they're working on my ankle. And you know, coaches were like, "Oh man, maybe we can get him back in time," and this and that. And 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 I did. I for for a, a few months I was like, "All right, I'm going to work really hard," and and I did. I, I I regenerated very quickly, and and you know they were really impressed by it. But I, I I think it was that last burst of energy that I needed to expel before I was like, "Okay, great," you know, now now okay. I'm going to focus on yeah. on being a director and and actually the last few months of high school I quit bringing history books and math books and stuff to class and I was bringing books on directing and and, and yeah I was literally sitting in class with like directing (laughs) books and I just completely zoned out
1: so no college huh
2: no college I did go to film school though
1: uh, okay, where did yeah. you go to film school? I went
2: to the LA Film School here in Hollywood. Oh, right on. So yeah. you,
1: so in Arkansas, injury ending your career thing. Um, you kind of <laughs> blew off the last. I mean, who doesn't blow off the last few months of high school? Yeah. Uh,
2: Fun fact: I, 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 think to this day I still hold the, um, the record, if you want to call it. that. It's not something to be too proud of. Um, of being the only person in Russellville High School history to graduate with like only eighty-six days of school. Oh really? The, yeah. So like the lowest like the, attendance. Yeah. <laughs> like Legally I should not have, I don't even think it's a bare minimum. Like wow. they, they shouldn't have let me graduate. You're like on the wall of shame somewhere. <laughs> yeah, some probably. some special
1: secret teacher's lair. Yeah. They're like that guy.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> right on dude. So, uh, all right, cool. So then when did you like move out to LA then like right
2: after high school or what was that kind I, of interim? I took, a, like? I took a few months off. Um, I, maybe a year. I think I took close to a year off and, uh, And I saved up some money, I started working, and I had a girlfriend at the time who also wanted to move to LA, and she was a year behind me, so I waited for her to get out of high school, and then I moved out in... I graduated high school in 2006, and then uh, I moved out here in 2007
1: when I was 19. Wow. Yeah. By yourself. By yourself
2: with with her but oh, with yes, her yeah. but,
1: but like did you have any connections out here or no. anything
2: i i knew one guy who went to high school with me and he was like a cinematographer for reality tv and huh. you know and stuff like that and that was about it
1: so where did you find what was finding the, i mean this is something that, that kind of interests me because yeah people always ask like okay like i want to come to la but like what do i do what are yeah. like the little things like how do i find a, a job to support me how do i find a place to to live and at 19 years old i can't imagine there were that many options available to you
2: no there weren't um you know i i, I moved out here Thankfully, my my school was uh, pretty okay at, at, at helping us. They gave us like lists of like, oh, look for these apartments and this and that and the one guy, the reality TV guy um, you know, uh, he, he pointed me in the direction of some places to look. So I actually ended up moving close to him in North Hollywood, which was my first place. And, um, you know, so that, that was, you know, a, a decent connection in terms of helping me get a, get, get a firm grasp on, on the, the living, so to speak, you know, cause it, it it's funny looking back on it now. It's, it's very similar to how most things in LA happened. Like we moved out here just driving around North Hollywood, looking for places to live. And he was like, Hey, there's an opening in my building. We went and looked at that it wasn't for us. And then we we drove down the street, saw a for rent sign, and looked in there, and the person was like, Oh, I have another building down the street, and we drove down the street and that was the perfect one. So it was like the third place we looked at. Wow. Was like, oh great, you know. So it's just one of those things, like I and I think that's how a lot of LA is like you just go and, and start the process, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like it, it, the, one stone will lead you to another, so to speak, you know. Yeah, and, well that's just
1: a, a good life philosophy. Yeah. I think is it Martin Luther King or somebody said like when you're climbing stairs, you don't have to know you have to. You kind of have to know where the top is, like yeah. where you're going, but you don't have to see the whole, all the steps. It's no, absolutely just the next, not. The next step is the only one you need to see. Yeah, exactly. And then the next one after that lights up, and then, yeah, yeah.
2: And and that's definitely how it was. So it was kind of like, okay, great. And you know, I the the school I was at was a 12 hour a day program, and it was 11 months, very intense. Like they put a camera in your hand the first the first day, wow. so it was like I couldn't have a job or anything like that. So it was 11 months straight of just immersive filmmaking. And, and and at the time, I had really only touched a camera like three times. Wow. Um, and even in film school, you know, I only, I only made, you know, aside from my little short films, um, you know, I, I only made like 10 or 12 projects there. So, you know, I graduated film school, even, you know, when I was 20, I graduated film school, I was like 20 ish. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd only probably had like, maybe you know a hundred hours touching a camera you know so it's still uh-huh. a very new new process but i was i was just so very eager and and confused
1: where where was most of your time spent if i mean if i mean you're obviously you were in class but yeah. if it was less of it was you know touching a camera or using a camera or behind the camera, were you mostly spending it writing or editing or uh, organizing things?
2: Yeah. Or? Yeah. The, the, the first semester, quote unquote, which is like four months long or something like that. Um, the, the, it's, it's a little bit of everything. So it's production design, it's editing, it's producing, it's writing, it's sound design, it's everything, uh, cinematography. So we were learning a little bit of everything. And then, uh, then you break off and you kind of focus on your majors, and then mm-hmm. each each you know month or so you have like a, a project that's due, you know, and you, you have a midterm, and then you have exercises that you do in between, and then you have a thesis film. And I, I actually directed three thesis films uh, when I graduated because I'm an overachiever, um, and, <laughs> the first time in my life too. It was it was very funny, like going from high school where I didn't try at all to film school where I'm like, oh, I'm going to turn in three projects. You right. will, you only want one, <laughs> um, you know. So so it was it was it was great because I was like, okay, this is this is what I want. To do, but a lot of my time was spent, um, you know, writing, watching movies. Um, And that, that was a great thing was I remember um, I, I wish I could go back to that time where, where it it, you know, to romanticize it a little bit of like sitting in a movie theater and in LA, you know, it felt very much like the opening of true romance where, where Christian Slater is like sitting in the movie theater, like eating popcorn. Like I remember sitting there and and watching movies thinking like, this is my life. Like I need to be doing this. Like I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm working right now. Like I'm studying, I'm working. (laughs) R and D
1: baby. Yeah, Yeah, exactly.
2: Exactly. And, and I was like, you know, some, some people are like, Oh, they're You know biology to be a doctor or something, and you know it's like I'm studying to be a movie director. I'm watching movies. I'm learning. You know, and, How cool, and yeah, 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 it was it was really cool, and it was like you know to a degree I was I was I was extending that license, you know. But it was like, um, yeah, looking back on it, I, I probably wish I would have spent a little more time with the cameras, you know. But it, it was, and, and and this is a little bit of the the unfortunate side of film school, you know. In 2007, I was right on the cusp of the digital new age. You know, what I'm saying sure, yeah. like yeah. we they were still teaching us celluloid. But, you know, they didn't have a red camera at my school. It was like a Sony F900, which they shot Star Wars on, you know. And and um, digital was like HD cam tapes or, you know, things like that. So yeah. it, was, uh, it was a new format. It was scary. We were still very pro film and, and stuff like that. So it was like, you know, every time I thought about, oh, man, I want to shoot something, I was like, I want to get film, you know, and that cost money. And it was like, I needed to save money. Cause that was the other thing was I knew I needed to save money. Cause I didn't, I, I couldn't have a job and I was just blowing through money and school loans and crap. So it was like, okay, I need to save a little bit of this for when I get out. And I probably didn't think about that, that enough either. But I knew once film school hit that it was going to be a scary, like, Oh shit, the safety net's gone, you know? And like, mm-hmm. it's time to get real. So, you know, Looking back, I wish I would have gone and rented the digital cameras more and and gone out and shot and experimented and made music videos and and just got a little more punk rock with it, you know, because I was so focused on the traditional side of it. And that's how the school was at the time. It was very, you know, I I remember some of our teachers were like, if you want to direct a movie, you should go intern at DreamWorks. You know, get somebody some coffee, make short films on the side and, you know, show people at work your short films and, you know, some, one day something will happen. And I was like, that sounds like bullshit. You know, I was like, that sounds awful. I don't want to do that. <laughs> I was going to
1: say, man. Yeah, yeah. Like, it seems like the really safe way to yeah. do it.
2: Yeah. But
1: and, that's all. That's so so much chance involved with that.
2: Absolutely. And and not only chance, but they they, they, they were very big and i don't you know i i not to speak poorly of the school but i think maybe it was some of the teachers you know cuz the teachers are very given liberty to and, and creative license to do the curriculum the way they they see fit you know and thankfully i'm i'm a pretty objective person naturally so I looked at film school as kind of, you know, to, to, to steal a quote from Joe Dirt, like a garden. And you dig it and you make it work for you, you know. Um, I, I looked at it and I was like, these teachers are just telling me how they would make movies, you know. Mm. And and looking at our school projects, our, our class projects, I would notice the same dolly shots in certain things. And I'm like, if these have different directors, these should not have the same shots, you know. And right. it was like, that's that's when I realized, I was like, all of these directors are just, these teachers and directors are, are just doing what they're told, you know? And I was like, that's not what art is. Art is expressing yourself and your own personal views of that. So, um, you know, I, I picked up this, um, you know, renegade quote unquote, uh, you know, reputation in film school being the guy who wanted to make genre films, who wanted to push the envelope a little bit and and kind of break the mold. So I, 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 was, I was happy to, to, you know, wear that, that moniker, so to speak and, and, and kind of, you know, paved the path for what was going to yeah. happen after film that's a that's
1: a good thing there's yeah plenty of copycats out there yeah. plenty of like formulaic like paint by numbers yeah. i know this works kind of stuff and that's all good and well but you know isn't the work that that stretches us isn't that what really moves us forward you know? yeah. yeah that's that's crazy Cool man. Um. So you were you were you were not working while you were in film school. It was yeah. eleven months. So how were you paying your bills, or did you take out loans? Yeah, or? It, was, it was
2: all school loans. Like the the whole wow. way the way the school is structured is basically you have to take out money to you know for tuition and then money to live on. So it was kind of like uh, you know, hey, here's here's a month of your or a year of your life that's going to be nothing but film and mm-hmm. learn and just go nuts. And, you know, like I said, that that's where I wish I would have been a little more prepared for that, you know, cause had I, had I been, you know, cause I, I moved, I would lived at home, you know, until I was 18 in high school and then moved to LA. I'd never been outside of Arkansas really, you know, it was uh, it was a, it was a massive culture shock. And, and especially for me as an adult you know, growing into an adult, um, learning about my own finances and paying my own bills and, and stuff yeah. like that. So it was a massive learning curve of like, you know, just balancing and conserving and, and, you know, knowing my limitations and, you know, all of those things. So I wish going into it, I would have been a little more prepared for someone to say, look, you're going to have a year of your life. Um, go nuts, go, you know, go crazy, experiment, fuck up and, and, and get your hands dirty, you know? Cause I, I went into it very cautious, you know? And I was like, and, and in a way that was good because it, it made me, um, you know, like I said, it made me evaluate things, but, at times I wish I would have taken more risks in terms of my creativity to, you know, learn some tricks and, and you know, fuck up a little more and, right. and experiment, you know. Yeah. But I think it helped me because... Um, like I said, it, it made me approach things very cautiously and look at it. And I think I was a little more prepared for after the fact because I approached it so slow. So I basically didn't burn the fuse all the way to the end. And then when I got out of school, I was like, Oh damn, what do I do now? And then freak out, you know, right, it was like, right. because I took it a little slower, I was a little more prepared for the inevitable. Okay. Right <laughs> yeah. on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool.
1: So you graduated school then. Yeah. with Three theses, three thesis projects. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, and then what, I mean, did you, I, I keep asking about the job thing just because it sounds like you were so young. And yeah. And it sounds like, it, like, when I was 19, I was, like, you know, bussing tables or waiting tables. Like, yeah. that was all I had available to me, really. Yeah. And that was, like, the top of what was available to me. Below that, it was, like, data entry or, you know, some other bullshit. Yeah. So, I, that's why I keep harping on that. So, when you graduated film school, um, you always had to keep paying bills. And yeah. The, and the loans were no longer... Or maybe they were. where they? Still yeah, I, I had saved up in? a little bit. Yeah, okay. thankfully
2: I'd saved up a little bit, and uh, you know, I, I had gotten to a few months where you know I was like selling off the camera I bought, and mm. you know, and I, and I was doing things like that. Um, my buddies and I moved into a smaller apartment, you know, to 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 pay rent, you know, to make our rent a little more manageable. And um, I went back home, uh, and this is kind of what we talked about a little earlier. I went back home for a few months because as soon as I got out of film school. I realized I was like, look, I don't have the cameras anymore. Like I had a full equipment room with basically every, you know, multi million dollar amounts of cameras and equipment and gear and you know, and I was like, I don't have that anymore. I don't have access to <sighs> it. You know, I feel like if you pay that much money for film school, you should have a lifetime license to go in there and yeah, take seriously, that shit. Seriously. Um but um so I didn't have that anymore and I was like, you know what? I don't want to go get coffee for anyone, and and I was like, I really want to make a movie. So, I uh, I told I I told everyone I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna work on making a movie. I wrote a script and and went down to Arkansas and tried to finance it. And while I was there, um, and I was a little overzealous because it was at the time I was trying to make uh, it was a movie uh called The Drive In, and I was trying to make it for like a million bucks. And um, you know, at, at the time in like 2008 wasn't an unrealistic amount of money. You know, it was like few years ago people were making movies for a million bucks and it was like oh yeah indie film under a million bucks no big deal um but it was right at the time where the recession was hitting and the, the strikes were happening and, and, you know, we were about to go from that world where movies were being made for $15 million down to $3 million, you know, yeah. and the budgets were being drastically cut. So when, you know, a, a 20-year-old kid's like, hey, I want to make my first feature for a million dollars, everyone was like, yeah, go fuck yourself, right. you know. Um, <laughs> so so I went home and I worked at this job I had um, that I, I worked at in between graduating high school and moving to L.A., which is a nuclear power plant, and uh, I, I worked there and uh it, it it's a dangerous job so it pays a lot of money very quickly and uh i did what they call an outage where they shut down one of the nuclear reactors they have two going at all times to generate energy or not going at all times but they have two so one shuts down to, for repairs and uh you you they send in workers to go work on the, the and, you know repower the generator so that this one can shut down and you know they just flip-flop them and that's what they do and um that's in my hometown of Russellville Arkansas it employs a lot of people and powers you know a good chunk of the the region so um, you know, I went there and did that. And that paid me a lot of money in a short amount of time that, you know, I could come back out to L.A. and live off of. And basically, I tried to stretch that money as as long as I could. Wow. And, uh, you know, my buddy and I ended up getting rid of the apartment. Because, you know, after getting that money, basically what I did was when I got that money, I was like, okay, I'm going to make Madison County, which was going to be my first movie. And I'd written the script while I was in Arkansas. And I was going to make it on my own money. And it's funny because even recently, I've met people That were like, hey man, I reached out to you on Craigslist or something when you were in Arkansas looking to make Madison County with your own money. Did that ever happen? Blah, you know. No way. They came back around and saw you again. Yeah, yeah. It was Uh, like, hey, I watched Contracted. I recognized your name. They were like, I realized you made this Madison County movie. They're like, I reached out to you way back when, and it was just funny because like I was gonna make Madison County for like twenty thousand dollars with my own money with like my buddies from high school. I was like, fuck it, I'm I'm gonna make my own feature. Like, you know, it it was it was kind of that bucket list mentality. Like, I have to make a movie. So basically, um, I moved back out to LA, and uh, and and you know my buddies and I were like, "Great, how do we make a movie? How do we make a movie?" And I was like, "Look, I have this money. Um, let me see if I can do something with it because basically." I, I, you know, we could make the movie for 20 grand and I could just blow all this money, but I was like, let me see if I can, you know, cause I had made a lot of connections by that point, just being in LA meeting friends. Cause like I said, I, while I was in film school, I was very proactive about reaching out. Like if there was, you know, if there was a guy like me who had just made a contracted and it was like, Oh cool. This indie movie came out and it did really well. I would reach out and I would say, Hey, how did you do that? Can I meet with you? Can I grab coffee? can I pick your brain? Like I'm in film school now, but I'm about to graduate and I want to hit the ground running. What can I do? Hmm. So I was just meeting people and networking as much as I could. I was really awkward. I had, you know, networking is not something we do in Arkansas. It's like you, you, you networking is like church where you shake hands and Hey, talk about, you know, the hogs last Saturday. Um, so, so networking was something very new to me. And, and I grew up a very shy kid. Like my mom jokes, and this is a true story. I was so shy. My mom would give me like the $20 bill to go pay the gas station attendant for when she pumped gas. And I was so shy I wouldn't want to hand in the $20 bill. Like I was just I networking was not something. So I had to force myself to be a networker. And um so I had accumulated a good amount of contacts and I had tons of people who were like, dude, we can make your movie this is a cool script. We can do this, we can do this. Um and I did that for like nine months. I got caught up in that game where I moved back out here and I blew through that money that I just made, or a good chunk of it, and I was like it wasn't getting me anywhere in that time I was still writing. So I'd written like four extra scripts and wow. I was trying to get those made. And yeah, I, I, am a fast, writer. I, I, you got I a prolific output there. Well, yeah, I, they were I mean, no one will ever see those scripts. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, um, it was good that I was writing them cause I was getting the bad, the bad stuff out. Um, some right. people would say I'm still getting the bad stuff out, but, um, but, uh, so, so I, you know, I was just blowing through money and, 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 you know, watching, I don't want to say resources dry up, but we resources dry up and and connections were leading to dead ends and people were mm. like hey we can get money and buddies were like hey my mom can pay for this and blah 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 and 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 I was I was just like you know what I'm so sick of waiting for someone to help me out you know i was like I, I think i had like maybe 10 grand left or something like that maybe a little less and i was like and and my buddy and i we we had gotten to the point where we were so desperate that he he lived in irvine we actually moved in with his parents for for a few months to just like crash and like reevaluate and and be like okay what's our next move like we're gonna make a fucking movie whether we die or not you know so like it was either do or die and um so basically while we were down in Irvine, like I, I started cranking out, uh, an, another script and I was like, this is the movie I'm going to shoot. And it was called hostile encounter. And, um, I was like, I wrote it for Ace Morero and, um, and cause Ace, Ace and I, you know, clicked really well on clown town, one of my thesis films in film school. And, um, I was like, Ace is a really talented actor. I loved working with him. I, I think he could carry this movie. I, I'm you know, I was looking for something to work with him on again and, uh, and I was like, look, um, one of my buddies who had just graduated film school bought some equipment so he could rent out and help pay his bills and get work and stuff like that. And I was like, look, I'm going to write this role for you and I'm going to rent your equipment. I'm going to, you know, give you your first job on that gear. And I was like, uh, and, and my buddy who was with me and, you know, I was crashing at his parents' place in Irvine. I was like, you're going to co-produce with me. And I was like, we're going to go down to Arkansas and we're going to shoot this movie. And it's a road trip movie. And basically we're going to, you know, the, the movie starts in California it ends up in Arkansas, but we're going to shoot it in reverse. I'm going to go down to Arkansas. You guys are going to come after me. I'm going to like set everything up. So when you guys get there, we're going to hit the ground running. We're going to shoot for four days in Arkansas and then we're going to shoot like scattered hours along the way just b-roll stuff like that and then we're gonna shoot our final day in california so it's gonna be like a five-day movie um that that spans five states Wow. And, um, so I went down to Arkansas, I started scouting locations, prepping. I got a buddy of mine who was like in high school at the time or just graduated high school and he wanted to be a movie director. So I was like, you're going to be my behind the scenes guy. You're going to be my right hand man. I'm going to teach you something. And, um, so, so yeah, I just started calling in favors, you know, and it's so funny cause it was like a very backyard movie. Like I was calling my parents, friends and, hey, can I borrow your truck? Can I do this? Can I do that? And everyone yeah. was like, what the hell is this kid doing? Like, he doesn't, you know, and, and, and I look so illegitimate, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it didn't look professional at all. I was like, you didn't have the grip trucks. You didn't have anything. It was just me and my car. And I'm like, hey, I'm going to shoot a movie here in, in next week. Is that okay? And they're like, really? yeah, sure. And then when we show up, it's like four guys and a little camera, you know? It's like, it still didn't look professional. Um, so, you know, so I, I, I you know, we, we loaded up their truck. They drove out separately from me. And uh, that that truck, the the, the jeep that they drove out was going to be the picture vehicle. So everything was very contained, you know. We shot for four days in Arkansas, which was a blast. Ace to this day still says is probably his favorite experience of us filming a movie together because it was just so bare bones and Mm. organic, you know. I found a local actor – um, there who had never acted before. I put out a thing on Craigslist and he was in Fayetteville, Arkansas, which is like an hour and a half from me and he was a carpenter and I was like, hey, I need a hillbilly and he sent me like cell phone pictures of himself like <laughs> selfies and it was the best thing. I hope I still have them. I think Ace may still have <laughs> them somewhere. Great. But How's us- this one <laughs> Exactly. He sent us these incredible <clears throat> selfies and- with like his like wood paneling in the background on his walls awesome. and like so good and he drove an hour and a half to audition in my mom's beauty shop.
1: Wow. Yeah,
2: like looking back on it, I probably should have just given him the fucking role like i don't know what i was thinking having him drive that far but that level of commitment was incredible and ace to this day loves the story there were two guys who auditioned for the role that's all i could get i put out thing on craigslist i got two actors to audition so i had in in arkansas in arkansas it was slim Pickens. and at the time i'm sure there's tons of actors in arkansas now but at the time i don't know if they just weren't interested weren't doing it i don't know what the deal was but i only got two people to choose from and um so um so basically uh, they, one guy drove in from like, fuck, like I forgot where, but they both came in competing for it really hard. And, um, it was funny cause, uh, Marshall is the guy's name, uh, who, who ended up getting the role. He came in and auditioned first and the other guy came in and like I said, we're doing this in a beauty shop. So it's not like a door closed or anything. It's like, they're sitting in a salon chair <laughs> and, um, and so Marshall auditions, this other guy comes in, but Marshall goes and like sits in the chair across from him. And just like watches him oh. audition, so he's like, and and it was funny because I was like. I was like, and, and Marshall was like, "Do you mind?" He was like, "I've never been to an audition before. I just want to see how this works out." You know, he's like, "He just he was like, I did mine, but I don't know if I did it right, so I want to see if he got it." And I was like, "Okay, that's cool." And Ace told me afterwards. Ace was like, "No, dude, he was sizing him up. Like he was intimidating." I was like, "I didn't think about that. That's great. It worked because he got the role, you know." But he literally yeah. did. he sat there and watched that guy audition. And uh, so so Marshall played my hillbilly, and I actually brought Marshall on to Madison County, my next movie. But um, so it was, it was a cool kind of, uh, you know, leapfrogging from, you know, growing together kind of experience. But from hostile encounter, you know, we shot the movie, we edited it and, um, I had no idea what we were going to do. We, A, submitted it to a film festival so we could get our first IMDb credits um, because the, the festival said, hey, if you submit to this, you get a free IMDb credit. And we're like, dude, we need IMDb's. That would be fucking cool. And um, and so, so, A, submitted it and we actually got in. It was a rough cut of the movie. No sound, no anything. And we got in. It was the Beloit International Film Festival in Feature-length film? Uh, it was a feature-length film. Yeah, Austin wow. Camera was a feature. We shot it in five days. I think the runtime was like seventy something minutes. Um, but it was a weird movie. It was like Deliverance if Deliverance was like a found footage film. <laughs> like we, I shot it as a found footage movie, so it's all from the perspective of this camera. And this was right after Paranormal Activity, so it was like we we're a little ahead of the curve with the movie. Um, and um, so, so basically. Um, you know, we got into this weird film festival and the movie wasn't done. And I was like, shit, should we finish it? And I was sending it to sales agents and crap and, cause I had no idea what to do, you know? It's like, and now I, I would never show anyone my film before it was finished, but I was just, I was just so desperate to like, what do I do with this movie? Like I, I, I was gung ho. Like I just jumped in the water. I was like, all right, now I need to learn how to swim. You know what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? And so, um, so I was getting rejected by all these sales agencies and they were like, Hey, you know, the, the movie shows promise, but it's not finished and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, damn, I made a shitty movie. I don't know what to do with it. You know, I was freaking out. And, um, uh Daniel Dunn, who was the guy with the equipment, you know, the cinematographer on Hostile Encounter, he watched the movie and he was like, dude, I, I'm i going to be honest with you. He's like, I didn't expect it to turn out as good as it did. He was like, I only did it because you were paying me to come down there and shoot it, you know? And he was like, it's actually a movie. Like, there's a story. There's a beginning, a middle, and an end. And it, it makes sense. And he was like you know, and you basically put it all together yourself and you, you, you know, managed to do everything, you know, he was just like really impressed. Like, wow, you knew what you were doing. And I was like, why well, I don't, I didn't really know what I was doing. I was just doing what I thought I should be doing, you know? And he was like, well, if I can get like a little money from my parents, like, would you want to make a movie that we could like, you know, sell and get distribution on and like, you know, try to like make something bigger. And I was like, yeah, you know why? Well, <laughs> of course I would. Um, and and so he was like, "What's that Madison County script you were gonna make before Hostel County?' Because the only reason I didn't do Madison County was because I didn't think I had enough money. We ended up spending um, like thirty five hundred dollars on Hostel County. so we shot in five days for like three thousand dollars, and um, so I was living off the the money, the rest of the money that I had at the time and uh when we were editing and doing all that stuff just trying to figure out my next move and i was crashing with friends and stuff like that and then daniel was like hey let's make madison county and i was like great and he was like uh i want to bring ace on as a producer and i was like okay cool and then it just kind of snowballed from there like hostile encounter kind of took a back seat and i never finished it because it was like i started on madison county we started casting the script was already there i did a few polishes you know and um, and, and, you know, Ace, Ace and I were the casting directors. So we auditioned all the actors and, um, you know, I, I, we started hiring a lot of the crew out here and this and that. And then I went down to Arkansas, just like we did Hostile Encounter and, and kind of set everything up for when the, the train came rolling, you know, as a producer. And, um, and then, you know, uh, less than like, less than a year later, I think it was like maybe, uh, 10 months after shooting Hostile Encounter, we were shooting Madison County, And, uh, and, and that was like the first real experience, you know, we flew news journalists down to write articles about the film and that got buzz about it. And, um, actually the, the reason we actually knew we could make Madison County do it successfully was Daniel was like, Hey, You know, my parents want to see... Because his parents were the people who financed it. They were like car dealers from Virginia. And Ace had this brilliant idea to shoot a promo trailer for the film. Like to, you know, market it. Because Ace is an actor. He's all about marketing. And how do I get myself out there? And um, so he was like, what if we shoot a variation of the first scene in the movie and, and shoot it to like show people what it's going to feel like. And Ace wrote this little treatment for an idea. And I was like, we should adapt the first scene. And we just kind of all conglom- you know, conglomerated all these ideas. And we took like, I think it was like 90 bucks and drove an hour outside of LA to this, like, you know, animal farm where they rent animals for movies. Like, I'm sure it's where they got the p- pig for babe or something like that. You know what right, I'm saying? Right. And, um, and, uh, Ace brought Katie Stegman along to be the actress In the, in the, the promo trailer. And basically we were going to use that to like finalize the financing, like show it to people and be like, Hey, if we need any more money, this is what the movie is going to look like. So we shot it in four hours and we edited it. And I think it was done in like four weeks or something like that. You know, just a quick little three minute thing. And, uh, we released that on YouTube and, you know, the, the news sites, the bloody disgustings and all the horror right, movie right. websites, they, they picked up on it and they ran an article about it, like, oh, there's this new Madison County movie coming out and they ran it as if that was the trailer. And, um, wow. so all these distributors contacted us and were like, Hey, where can we, where can we see this movie? We want to buy it. And one company even said, Hey, we'll offer you this much money for it right now. Like wow. without ever seeing the full movie, just that little three minute thing, they were offering us money. And so we were like, well, if we can take that money, like that money's already there. So we know we have that much cushion right there. So we kind of just built the movie around that. Like, okay, this is our budget. That much of it's already covered from one country. So maybe we can just make the rest of it and then, you know, do this. And that's kind of how we just pieced it together. Like it was really kind of a fortunate series of events.
0: hey guys welcome back hopefully you enjoyed part one of trev's interview with filmmaker eric england and looking forward to i'm looking forward to parts two and three coming at you in the following weeks in the meantime pick of the weeks picks for picks picks of the week week. for the picks of the week
1: for this week (laughs) uh episode
0: 160 uh what's your pick of the week my friend
1: all right right off the bat my pick of the week is louis the show, the TV show, Louie with uh, Louis uh, C.K. You ever seen it?
0: Yes, it's so good,
1: dude, so good. And, and <laughs> somebody was telling me a story about how he essentially was like, uh, "I'm going to do a show. I'm not going to take any kind of, you know, network notes or any kind of bullshit like that. Like I'm going to do the show my way, the way I want to do it." And the network was like, um, "Okay." And some I don't know, somehow he worked it so it's like his show. He writes it, he produces it, he directs it, uh, and it's very much his vision. And it's so interesting. It's a half hour comedy, but it's and it's kind of interspliced with stand-up moments, kinda like seinfeld stand-up moments. But then there's there's like these awkward, like soul-wrenching, truthful, social, just 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 these really deep profound moments slipped in and it's it's and it's, I don't know, just the way it's done just is really, really inspiring from a storytelling perspective, from a human perspective. It's just brilliant. And I, I'm a huge fan of Louis C.K. now. I just think the guy is just brilliant. He's a, he's a great comedian, sure, but he's also a very insightful and intelligent and sensitive human being. And uh, his show is just a, a really brilliant look at, uh, at, at the human animal. So I uh, highly recommend it. All the, all the seasons, I believe, are on Netflix. I'm really just getting started with it. But I think everything's on Netflix Instant, and you can also watch some stuff online at uh, the link on our website. But yeah, man, Louis, great I, show.
0: I have always thought that in order to be as funny as someone like he is, my, <clears throat> my favorite comedian is uh, Eddie Izzard. To be as funny as, as, as he or Eddie are, you have to be extremely intelligent. So mm. uh, it doesn't surprise me that that's the kind of um, work that he uh, wants to do.
1: Yeah. Great stuff. And also I, I read something about him wanting to put together like a a comedy special that he would release on D V D or streaming or something. And he basically did it himself. He put up like three hundred grand, hired the camera crew, hired the whole production. Uh, and then, you know, put it, spent a few months with an editor, kind of cutting everything together, and then released it himself on his website with no distribution. Yeah, I was going to
0: say, was that the one that he released on his website?
1: Yeah, and he made he charge uh, like
0: five bucks. charged or five something. bucks, and he
1: made he did like a million sales. Yeah, and uh, and made it all back. Now he's Louis C.K., but but I think so. He's got you know an audience, but I think that there's a lesson in there for a lot of us, and I think it's really indicative of the of the direction that the industry's going you know, increasingly I'm seeing it all over the place. The middleman is being cut out and the artists are going directly to the audience and the audiences uh, are supporting it.
0: Yeah. It's kind of like when Radiohead put their album out for, for free or for donation or whatever it was. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And now to play devil's advocate. And I know we've only got a minute or two here to, to talk about our picks of the week, but to play devil's advocate, there's a great piece from Trent Reznor where he talked about just kind of like, why that works for some people but not others, and how he actually had a an experience producing I don't know some some other artist's record and you know putting it out there and basically saying pay what you want, uh, and it just kind of flopped. It just fell on its face, and he did not make his money back. And um, so it's it, there's you no know, there's, there's just as many stories on the other side of the mm. of the uh, of the results well, equation.
0: Yeah, it's it's like you said. I mean, he's Louis C.K.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: They're Radiohead. Yeah, you know, there's a reason why. It works for for the people who are already at a certain level so yeah
1: but that but that you know it comes down to make good work (laughs) build genuine relationships give as much as possible to your audience add as much value as possible to your audience and if you do that over time you can build uh you know a nice fan base that that are happy to pay to support your work yeah and uh it's just going to take time you know yeah i think i think that's the direction we're going it's like it's it's an interesting time we're in. And I'm, I'm, hmm. I love seeing um, that kind of thing happen. Yeah. Anyway, uh, what's your pick of the week?
0: My pick of the week is a documentary, I guess. But it's more of a movement slash live event thing. And part of the reason that I wanted to mention it is because of the DIY aspect of it. Just another example of somebody coming up with a really brilliant idea and then turning it into a piece of art. It's a... <clears throat> national event that happens at cities all over the country called mortified Na- mortified nation or i think the shows themselves are just called mortified and then the movement sort of became known as mortified nation and now there's a documentary that's about mortified nation that is uh streaming uh on on netflix and i don't know if it's anywhere else but um i'm, I'm i feel bad now uh mentioning all these netflix picks because um uh, when I met with uh, Lauren, listener Lauren Bailey when she came to, to New York, she was like, "Oh yeah, we don't have we're not going to have Netflix in Australia until like next year or something like that." And I realized that there's probably listeners who listen to us every week, and we're like, "Oh, this is on Netflix. It's easy. Just go ahead and watch it." <laughs> it's, it's like we're we're flaunting in their face, like you can't watch this. Um, but anyway, I'm sorry. Uh, Maybe you can find it on YouTube or at least examples of the shows on YouTube. It's a very simple concept, but it's kind of transformational and amazing. But basically, um, what it is, is uh, uh, people will, in front of a live audience, read uh, uh, portions of their childhood or teenage diary or journal that they kept. Mm. So they'll, they'll just... Um, they'll just basically stand in front of this live audience, at a microphone, and read their thoughts from a kid. And they're so fascinating and varied. And, and some are, some are hilarious, some are heartbreaking. And it, it, like I said, it was just this guy's idea. You know, he wrote this love letter uh to someone and he found it in a old drawer or something when he when he got older and he thought this is terrible this is so (laughs) awful it's funny i should read this in front of people and then it it dawned on him well if i did that what if we made a night of it and other people did it and it's since grown to this huge thing and people produce them all over the world now there was actually one in sweden in the documentary so they're probably happening everywhere you basically just go, I think you just go to the website to like sign up to be a producer or something like that, and, and, and you can put on a show in your hometown if you want to. So, Mortified Nation is the website. That's also the name of the documentary. Um, and if it inspires you to either put on a show where you live or um, yeah, put on a show where you live or create some DIY piece of art like this, anywhere then I will have done my job
1: for the week <laughs> mm, mm. yeah I'm on the website mortifiednation.com and uh, it looks really cool there's a trailer here you can watch it on iTunes you can, there's other a, a link to watch it on other platforms and it looks like uh, Amazon Instant Video Google Play Vimeo On Demand X, Xbox Playstation v- Voodoo which I've never heard of before uh, so it's kind of everywhere awesome looks like you don't even have to be a, a US citizen to check this out so awesome, dude. I, I'm looking forward to digging into this. This looks great.
0: It's so good.
1: Good research so, too, you know, so talk good. about just connecting with the, the kind of less often discussed side of the, of, of human nature, you know, as an actor, like what great, yeah. what great source material. Absolutely. Cool, man.
0: Um, uh, we also have a listener pick. Don't know much about it cause we haven't read it. So we'll just kind of mention it, but this comes from uh, a listener named Joe. It's a book called acting, Colon, make it your business. Acting. Make it your business by Paul Russell. There, yeah. there will be a um, uh, affiliate link to the book on our website. So if you'd like to check it out, do so through our website. But um, apparently, uh, Paul Russell is a sort of no nonsense, old school New York actor who um, it
2: tells, tells it like it tells is.
0: Tells it like it is. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. Um, we're doing bad accents now. Yeah, we are. <clears throat> <clears throat> Again.
1: <laughs> yeah, we, we never said we could do them. We just thought we'd try. Uh, no, yeah, the, the book looks awesome. It looks like the kind of kind of thing that'd be great to dig into. And I, I really appreciate uh, the no-nonsense approach from people. I used to hate it when I was younger. You know, people would tell me how hard the industry was, and now you got to have a, a spine of steel and all that. And I was kind of like, stop, man. Like, just stop. You're like you're making me not want to do this. <laughs> you know, you're ruining it for me. I, why can't this be an enjoyable journey? Um, but, you know, I've, i as I've gotten older, I've come to appreciate it because, because, and Joe even says in, in, his, in his message about this book, he says, it, it's not, the guy doesn't write this way to, to defer, to deter you, I should say from, from a business, a career. He's just, he's just trying to tell it like it is, you know, and telling yeah. you what to expect. And if you, yeah. can, if you can frame that appropriately <clears throat> as the reader, I think it can be really valuable. So thanks for the uh, recommendation, Joe. So you guys know how to get in touch with and support the podcast. We won't waste too much time, not waste time, but we won't take too much time to uh, kind of rehash that because we're out of time. Just go to InsideActingPodcast.com, find out different ways to leave us an email, uh, sorry, shoot us an email, leave us a voicemail, follow us on Twitter, find us on Facebook, leave us a review on iTunes, and of course, donate to the podcast. If you want to be like Kyle and keep the wheels going around on our electric cross-country tour bus, went stacked with food, uh, please do that. You can uh, do that by going to our website, clicking on the donate button, and making a recurring monthly donation to become a patron, or just uh, popping in, dropping us a few bucks, a few pennies, a few hundred thousand dollars if you'd like, and then and then getting out. It's uh, It can be monthly or it can be a one-time thing. Either way, we really appreciate it, and either way, it's a tax-deductible write-off. You can write it off as education and research. So uh, it's a win-win-win-win-win-win-win. For everybody. So for episode 160, Jen Levin is our production coordinator. Cesar Gamino is our technical producer. Gadali Gubarek is our marketing and web director. Deborah Smith is our community manager. And of course, a huge thanks to all of our patrons who are the fuel in the tank or the electricity in the battery that (laughs) keeps the wheels turning. For episode 160 (coughs) of Inside Acting, my name is Trevor Algott.
0: And I'm AJ Meyer. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, get on the bus!
1: This episode of Inside Acting has been brought to you in part by VO2Gogo.com, the award-winning voiceover training system and winner of Backstage's Reader's Choice Award for Best VO Training four years in a row. Visit 2 slash start for a free Getting Started in Voiceover online class that will help you add voiceover to your acting portfolio. That's 2 slash start.